0: Good morning, church. Everybody getting dry? No? It was like pouring out there. It's crazy. So this morning, I'm so glad to be with you as we open up God's Word and learn something new together today. Um, I'm excited as we continue our sermon series. We've been here throughout the weeks. You know we are in a sermon series called On the Move. We've been discovering all the ways that Jesus was on the move within the Gospels. He continues then into the book of Acts, but now through his followers, his disciples, empowered by the Holy Spirit to continue to do all the things that he was preaching and teaching, but also now in a, in a new, uh, new experience in Acts. This series, then, is all about understanding that what God has been doing in the past, he intends to do in the present, too, through people like you and me, as long as we're willing to join him in his great work. So when you look throughout the book of Acts, so one of the things that surprises me is as it unfolds, you find that every character that really joins in with God's movement and things that he's doing they join in on this incredible ride and see incredible and amazing things. I think the same thing is true for us too. When I was in like middle school, maybe maybe, uh, elementary school, I had a a playground outside my school that had a big metal merry-go-round. Just like this, I'll show you a picture. You might have one of these where you grew up. Like an absolute death trap. Uh, they weigh like 3 tons and to get those things rolling you have like 10 people around the outside just pushing and pushing to finally get it rolling there's like a see the little groove on the outside where all the feet have gone and if you've ever been a part of pushing a merry-go-round to get it started like that you know if you fall down it's like game over you know you get ran over pulled through the dirt or whatever and all of us 90s parents in the room today like some of us you know we're like bubble you know bubble wrap parents now for our kids like keep them safe, you know. wear your helmet, your knee pads, shoulder pads, whatever. Make sure you have hand sanitizer, wash your hands. But back in the day, we were doing that and nobody cared, right? But you know, when you got finally onto a merry-go-round like that, that was going full-fledged, whirling around, taking an act of God to get the stop, once you got on it, it was just rivets, sheet metal, and poles, you know, and you would grab the pole and hang on for dear life. But the goal was always to get to the middle as quick as possible, because if you get to the middle of it, you might be able to survive the journey that you just in, you know, just encountered on this merry-go-round. What I've found in my life is like following Jesus, really getting on board with God's work in the world is a lot like grabbing a hold of a metal merry-go-round going full speed. 20 years ago when I told God, God, I'll, I'll do whatever you call me to. I'll go wherever you call me to go. I had no idea the ride that I was embarking upon. But looking back on it, I'm so glad that I did. And what I found is the closer and closer I've gotten to the center of what God is up to, like the more and more I find myself in the place that I really need to be. And so my prayer for us this morning would be the same, that we would not just be content to sit in the pews or the chairs and watch what's taking place around us, but we would decide to get involved with what God is doing. So whether you're here in the room this morning, whether you are safe and dry at home right now watching online, My goal this morning is that we would allow God to speak to our hearts and minds and join him in his work and see him do amazing things. So if you're gonna get on board with God, you better be ready for it because he will take you places you've never been before, experience things you've never experienced before, and he will do things in you and through you that you've never seen before. And so in the book of Acts, in chapter 10, we see this unfolding once again with new characters in a new place. In Acts chapter 10, we pick up in a city called Caesarea. Caesarea is is a Roman coastal port city that was loaded with Roman military officers for a couple reasons. One, there's a lot of trade that was going on within the city, but also it was loaded with Roman officials who resided there. So we encounter then in Acts chapter 10 uh, a Roman centurion named Cornelius. So here's what the Bible says in Acts chapter 10 starting in verse one through verse six. It says, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devoted and God-fearing. He gave generously to those who were in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel responded, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Verse five, now send men Send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying there with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. So in the first six verses of chapter 10, we're introduced to this new character, Cornelius. Now a couple things we need to know about Cornelius. Number one, he's a Roman officer that would have been over 100 soldiers. He was a centurion. And we are given information about his family. Oddly enough, though Cornelius is not Jewish, He's actually a Gentile, he's Roman. He and his family were on the outside of Jewish culture kind of looking in, but they were known as God-fearers. They were individuals who uh, had strong feelings about God, who believed strongly in the Jewish culture and who were fond of Jewish culture, but they were not embraced within Jewish lifestyle or brought into it. And so this man is the first Roman that we encounter within the book of Acts, and he's a God-fearer, which is a category within Jewish culture that was very specific. They were people who were Gentiles, but they loved God. They were Gentiles, but wanted to know more about Yahweh and were interested in what was happening within Jewish culture. So he's a non-Jew, he's a military leader, but he was intrigued by Yahweh. All of the gods that he could worship within Roman culture, he turned his back on because he believed Yahweh was a more important one to turn his attention toward. So it would have been shocking to anyone in the first century reading this story in Acts, they would have been shocked that Cornelius was a generous person to those in his community who were poor because he wasn't a Jew. They would have been shocked by the fact that he spent time every single day in prayer because he wasn't a Jew. They would have been shocked that he was a God-fear because he wasn't a Jew. And so on top of all this, Cornelius, the Bible says, is visited by an angel of God. So he's visited by this angel and the angel comes and says, Cornelius, all of the prayers and all of the gifts that you've been giving to those around you, they have have been counted on God's behalf. So the angel tells Cornelius, send some men to a place called Joppa and find a man named Simon Peter. Now a couple of really interesting things going on here. First, the place the men are sent to is a place called Joppa. You ever heard of the word Joppa before? Where have you heard of Joppa? In the Old Testament, there's a story of a man named Jonah. And if you remember, Jonah was called by God to go to a place called Nineveh to take this message that if they didn't turn from their ways, they would not receive the grace of God and they would receive judgment. But Jonah had no interest in taking this news to these non-Jews, these Gentiles in Nineveh. So instead he goes to a port called Joppa to go to a place called Tarshish. So he runs from the, God, the call that God has on his life to take this good news to folks outside of the Jewish culture. So Joppa is the place where Simon Peter is. Joppa was the place where people would flee from within Jewish culture to not take the good news and grace of God to a hated, dangerous, non-Jewish sect of people. So it's interesting, these people that are sent from Cornelius to find Simon Peter, they have to go to a place called Joppa to find him. Now this man named Peter that we find out about also, Peter has shown up other places within the book of Acts. But before even the book of Acts, Peter's name is mentioned often because he's a disciple of Jesus. He followed Jesus. Now in the Greek, Peter's name means rock or stone. And so we know in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus speaks to Peter and says to him, and I tell you that you, Peter, you are the rock on which I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So Jesus' prophetic statement about Peter being the rock puts him right in the middle of this story with Cornelius. So all of this is going on behind the scenes. There's a lot that God is up to here. You have a soldier named Cornelius who's outside of the Jewish faith but is up against the window trying to see what's going on. You have God who sends an angel to orchestrate a meeting between Cornelius and this man named Peter whose name means rock on which the church would be built but Peter is in a place called Joppa, which is a place that people used to flee from taking the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles, and now it'll be a place where the good news of God's grace will come to the Gentiles. What I see in this first few verses is God is playing 4D chess. He's working all kinds of things out without ever really seeing it right in front of you. In chapter 10, we see the ultimate goal that God has is to extend his love and his grace and his mercy to people far and wide. As it says in Acts chapter one, you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And it's happening in chapter 10. As Cornelius, this centurion, is having an encounter with God. So in chapter 10, it's fascinating here that as I read these few verses, I see something, and that is that God is always on the move even when we don't see it. God is always on the move even when we don't see it. Maybe even this morning, there's something going on in your life or in your community, within your family, and maybe you're like, God, where are you? Like, What are you up to? Why are you not doing anything? I bet you God is working something outright that you're not seeing behind the scenes because God is always on the move. He's always doing something, and this is a key principle to being on the move with God, that just because you don't perceive movement doesn't mean it's not happening. Just because we have a limited perspective doesn't mean that God isn't doing something. Just because God seems dormant doesn't mean that nothing's going on. Years ago, we took a group of high school students to the Dominican Republic on a mission trip. And I'm not told this story a lot because it's kind of a, it feels like a kind of grandiose story, but it it was such a monumental piece of my ministry at this church when I first began at Mount Horeb. There was a group of high school students and we came together in the chapel three months before we left for our mission trip to the Dominican. And so we went to the chapel and we'd order pizza for everybody to eat lunch because I'm a good youth pastor and, We were eating our pizza, and we told everybody, hey, listen, after we're done eating, we're gonna go off for 20 minutes, and we're just gonna pray and ask God for his vision for what we're gonna be doing in the Dominican. Like, God, what are you up to? Tell us about it, let us in on it, so we can join you. So we finished our pizza, everybody went off to pray for 20 minutes, and we all came back, and we started sharing then around the circle with what we had either seen or felt like God had impressed upon us, scripture, visions, whatever it might be. So we're going around the circle and students are sharing and it's powerful, everything they're saying. like, yes, yes, that's good, that's good. And then we come to this one girl in the circle and she's like, I don't really wanna share mine. I'm like, okay. And she's like, I feel like it's kinda weird. I was like, well, it's either the pizza we ate or maybe God is speaking something. So go ahead and share it and if it's nothing, that's cool. And if it is something, that'd be amazing. And so this girl said, okay, I'll I'll share it, but it's a little weird. I had a vision I felt like God shared with me that there was gonna be someone that we're gonna pray for healing for and they were gonna be laying on a gravel road. I was like, wow. And as she says it, a girl across the circle from her says, I saw the exact same thing, the exact same thing. I was like, okay, this is crazy. I said, listen, this this could be amazing. But she said, that's not the weirdest part. I'm like, what's the weirdest part? She said, Trevor, you're the one praying for them. And I was like, okay, that is weird. Because they didn't know, but behind the scenes, I had some friends that were really involved with the prayer ministry in uh, Kansas City that I've been spending a lot of time with, and so I had been impressed in my heart to really start praying for these greater gifts, as the Bible said. I was praying for all kinds of stuff, you know, healing and prophecy and things. And so, but they didn't know that. So I'm like, okay, God, God's doing it. Like here, here we go. We're going to the Dominican it'll be this amazing thing. And so, sure enough, three months later, we fly to the Dominican, and we're having an awesome week. But in my heart, I'm like angsty the whole time. So I'm like, God, you got to show up. Like you told us you were going to do something so you gotta do it, because if you don't do it, I gotta explain to these students why you didn't do it, and so you gotta show up. So for the first, like, three days, I was just head on a swivel looking for anything that was gonna happen. Like, that's a guy we could pray for? Oh, there's a gravel road, something right here. And it never happened. So finally, about Thursday of our trip, I I was feeling really guilty about it, because I felt like I was trying to manipulate the trip and all kinds of stuff. And so Thursday, we shared that night, and I was like, guys, listen, I, I just wanna apologize. I feel like I've been trying to make something happen just to prove to you that God is real, and I I, I feel bad about that, and I, I'm asking you for, for your forgiveness. Like, we forgive you. It's, it's all good. Okay, good. I feel bad. So, that night, then, there was some of our students that were up on the second floor of the house we were staying in the, in the Dominican. The first floor had all been finished, and the second floor was being built, so there's concrete everywhere and all kinds of stuff, and so some of the students were up on the top floor, and they were playing guitar and singing, and they had my guitar up there, and It was getting dark, and so I walked up, and I said, hey, guys, about five minutes, and then why don't y'all come back down, and we'll get ready for bed, and they said, no problem. So I went back down and started getting ready for bed, and as I'm in my room, all of a sudden I hear this, like, blood-curdling scream, like, and they scream my name, and so I, I threw a shirt on, and I ran out, and as soon as I came around the corner outside, my mom was with me on the trip as well, and she came running out, and as I turned the corner, one of our students had fallen off the top of the roof about 12, 14 feet. And I didn't know it, but had done a complete flip in the air and landed on their back right outside the house. Somehow, he had my guitar in his hands, and it never got scratched, laying across his chest. It was beside the point. So I ran up, and when I got to him, I mean, completely no, no respon- not responsive at all, unconscious. And I don't know what to do. I mean, you don't learn this at CIU in youth ministry courses. Like, when a student falls off a roof. Here- like, that was, I was not taught that. And we're in the middle of nowhere, the Dominicans. So I, I don't know what else to do except he's laying there, and and right outside the house, I I bend down on my knees, I just put my hand on his chest, and I start praying, I'm like, God, would you please, would you heal him, would you bring him back to us, and as I'm praying, the girl who had seen the vision three minutes, three months earlier just starts bawling, and I realized what she was seeing, when I looked down, he was laying on pea gravel outside the house that this house was being built on, and I'm like, oh my gosh, and so I'm praying and praying, long story short, this kid finally comes back to, and I just was sure he was dead or something, and we, we finally get him up, but I was so scared and his, and his family was very intense. So I was like, we gotta make sure he's fine. So we went to this little hospital in Harbacoa to get him checked out. And after a lot of translation and conversation, the doctors were like, listen, there's nothing wrong with him. I'm like, are you sure? Check his head, check everything, his back. Is he all good? They said, he is good. So we came back to the house. I remember having this conversation then that night with these students being like, I, I, I can't believe God like spoke to us. Like he was doing something, he was up to, it wasn't what we thought it was gonna be. I, I had pictured it completely different in my mind and yet God, you showed, and the students were blown away at what God had said, he had done. Now I've learned something from that experience. And I see it in Acts chapter 10 as well. God is always on the move even when we don't see it. God is on the move behind us, ahead of us and beside us and I think if we were to ask him to let us in on what he's up to, I think he'll tell us. I would argue that very few of us ever spend time really slowing down enough for God to speak to us about what he's up to in the world so that we could really join him, wherever it is and whatever he's doing. I think that God is up to something in our families, in our neighborhood, in our church, in India, in Indonesia, in Africa, and other places. And it's not always in our timing, and it's not always a way we understand, but there is a certain balance between waiting on God and pushing forward in trust but I just have this conviction that if we do the hard work of discerning his movement around us, I think we will see that God is inviting us into wonderful things, amazing things. We would potentially discover purpose beyond just a paycheck every week. We would find that God's plans are bigger than our plans. It might just blow our mind. One of my favorite speakers and pastors right now is a guy named Rich Viotis, and he says it this way. He says, good missional theology and practice believes that wherever we go, God has already been working. We don't bring God anywhere. Rather, we discover through prayer and conversation where God has been working. God's up to something, and not just here, but everywhere. And I think that God is up to something and he wants us to join him in doing that. So if we're gonna be on the move with God, then it requires us to have humility, curiosity, and confidence that whatever he's doing, we can join him in it. And it's always focused on expanding his kingdom to parts that have not seen it before. So when I read chapter 10, it's amazing to me that before anybody shows up within the story that we've seen before, God is already working in Cornelius' life, giving him visions, giving him directions. God's pulling all the levers and putting all the things in motion for his grace and his mercy to spread far and wide. So as Cornelius is having this dream and this vision, in another location, in a place called Joppa, you have Peter, who's spending a little bit of time in the Mediterranean sun at noon, enjoying himself on a roof of a house, and he is praying and spending time there when all of a sudden he gets hangry. Anybody been hangry before? You're married to somebody that gets hangry, like everything's fine, then it's like not fine. This is Peter. So Peter's on top of the roof of this house, and he's praying when suddenly he is hungry, and it must've been prompted by his hunger or whatever, whatever God was doing, he falls, the Bible says, into this trance. And the Greek word for trance is extasis, and it literally means a bewilderment or a disturbance and cause of shock. And he receives this vision. And the Bible says the vision that Peter sees is of this large sheet that's being lowered down to the earth by its four corners. And inside of the sheet are four-footed animals and birds and reptiles, It's a little wild of a vision. And Peter, as he's on top of this roof, he sees all these things in this sheet and God gives him an interesting command. God says to Peter, kill and eat. To which I'm sure Peter's like, I'd rather have something else. Because the problem is, to us, this may not mean anything, but to Peter, this is in direct violation of Levitical law. Everything that's in that sheet is something that is unclean, that is impure. That for a Jewish individual, you would never eat. In fact, it was the way that the Jews were separated and distinct and set apart from all the Gentiles. Though the Gentiles took part in eating pig, which is one of the cheapest meats you could get in the market, the Jews did not. And so for the fact that God says take and eat, it means something to Peter. And Peter responds the way you'd expect when that happens. Peter says in Acts chapter 10, verse 14 through 20, surely not, Lord, Peter replies, I have never eaten anything impure or anything unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back up to heaven. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of his vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Go get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So you have Cornelius. He has this vision. Go find this man named Peter and bring him back to you. Send some guys to find him. These guys go out to find Peter. They find him in Joppa, And Peter's on top of this roof and he's having this vision about this sheet and these animals coming down. God says, kill and eat. You see, Peter was a devout Jew. And what's happening here means that he was a Jew, but he believed in the Messiah, that Jesus was indeed who Jesus claimed to be. He followed Jewish practices. He did not eat things that were impure or unclean. And so when God tells him to do this and three times before it disappears, this would have been something that would have shocked Peter. You see, this vision that Peter has, it's about food, but it's not just about food. Like it's about meals that Jews would not take part in eating, but it was about much more than just meals. It was about something else. So God is always on the move even when we don't see it, but God is also always on the move even when it shifts our paradigms, when it shifts the way we see the world, the way that we think. You see, a paradigm would be a pattern or a model or a a set way of thinking, a lens through which we see the world. And occasionally there are disturbances that happen to us, disruptions that happen to us that change the way we see the world. And that's what's happening with Peter. I remember when my wife and I brought our first child home to our house, when Eli came home with us 12 years ago, it changed everything. If you're a parent in the room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Everything was different. Our whole little family was turned on its head because of the way we used to do things, the things we used to value. We used to not be tired all the time, and now we were tired all the time. We used to spend our money on things that we were really excited about, but now we're buying diapers and wipes and diaper genie. (laughs) Refills. Speaking of paradigm shifts, (sighs) I'm not sure how to recover from that. But we used to watch shows like Coco Melon, and Blippy. <laughs> and now it's not HGTV anymore, everything changed. And the funny thing was, when all this took place for us, we were a part of the youth ministry at Mount Horvitz. We had all these high school students that would give us advice about how to take care of our kids. We're like, let him stay up a little bit longer, he'll enjoy it. I'm like, you've never had a kid before, apparently. Oh, feed him that, that'd be really good. I mean, he had that much sugar. I'm like, right, you have no idea. See, the paradigm shift, I understand things now that I didn't understand before. Now there's a child in the house, everything is different. And I think in my head, whenever a kid in the youth ministry would say something like that, I'm like, just wait and see, and then you'll understand. You see, for Peter, what takes place within his life is this disruption. This dream shakes everything up. And typically, much like Peter, we are resistant to change. We like to think and operate in a very specific kind of way. So typically, we avoid ideas that stretch us or challenge us. There have been multiple conversations I've had with folks in the church during this series, people saying things like, man, I wish, I wish I would see God work in my life like he worked in the book of Acts. I'd love to see God do these kinds of things in our world today that he was doing then that we've been reading about or studying about. And I agree with you, but there's a really big question I think we have to answer when it comes to that question that we ask. When's the last time we made space for God to shift our paradigms? Like, when's the last time we learned something new? When's the last time we let God expand our lens for life or be open to a vision that comes from God, not just one that comes from us? That is what's required for things to happen here today like happened within the book of Acts. And I will tell you, God is interested in doing it today. He wants to. What Peter sees here changes everything for him. You see, all throughout the book of Acts, when someone has an encounter with God, they're left changed and nothing is the same. And so Peter's shift in understanding goes from his own life and centuries before him, the Israelite people believed that they were God's chosen people, like set, us, set apart, special, and everybody else was on the outside looking in. The Jewish people believed that they were favored and cherished and adored, and everyone else was either despised or they'd been forgotten by God. And so this vision for Peter changes all of that. I can say in my life there have been multiple times where God has expanded my vision or challenged my prejudice or awakened me to a new understanding of the world around me. A few years ago, (laughs) it's really loud. (laughs) A few years ago, I started school in seminary in Columbia. And I remember going to my first class um, at the seminary downtown. And I was in a classroom for the very first time in my life where my cultural background, the color of my skin, was not the majority in the room. And, and if someone would have said to me going into seminary, Trevor, like, do you have any racist bone in your body? I would have said, no. And I'm offended that you would even ask that. I'm offended that you'd even ask that question of me. I love everybody. And I remember getting in these classrooms and And learning in this seminary and having conversations with folks that I have not had a lot of conversation with. And a few years ago, it was just the height of a lot of the racial protests happening within the country. So it was very heightened. It was very, very tense sometimes. I remember hearing these stories from individuals who sat across the table from me. Stories that I'd never really thought about in my life. And all of a sudden, as I sat in these classrooms, I felt this paradigm shift taking place in my own life. As I was learning about things like privilege or equality or the kinds of love that God has for everyone, even though they may not look like, act like, or think like me. That's something God did in my life and awakened me to new ways of seeing the world. And so for Peter, his entire religious system is disrupted. All the ways he's understood how things worked for a very, very long time, God was saying it's changing. And the question becomes, will we trust that God's grace is enough to go around? We don't have to hoard it to ourselves. We can share it with others. We trust that God is big enough to offer mercy beyond just the Jews, but maybe even to the Gentiles as well. This was something Peter had to wrestle with. And so Peter and this contingent of believers that leave Joppa to come now to where Cornelius is in Caesarea, when Peter arrives, the Bible says that Cornelius falls on the ground before him. You see, Cornelius had a lot of pieces put together about who Jesus was, what God was up to, but he didn't understand all of it. And so when Peter arrives, you've had this vision, and he falls down before Peter, and Peter says, stand up, I'm just a man. Stand up, I've come here to share something with you. So they have this conversation, and Cornelius has his family full of family and friends, and Peter enters the home, which again was against Jewish law, but he does it because he sees God is on the move. And Peter asks him, what what did you send to me for? And Cornelius says, I've had this vision. And in this vision, I was told to find you and to bring you here, because you had a message for us, something that you wanted to say. And so Peter speaks to Cornelius and his family and his friends, and here's what Peter says in verse 34 through 36. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God has not shown favoritism. I'm gonna read that again. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts those from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And then Peter goes on to explain more about Jesus to Cornelius until verse 42. He says, then Jesus commanded us to preach to all people and to testify that he is the one whom God anointed as judge of the living and the dead. Verse 43, all the prophets testify about him that everyone, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even to the Gentiles. So the first sentence that Peter speaks as he comes in chapter 10 and meets Cornelius, he says something really important. He says, now I understand that God does not show favoritism. God doesn't show favoritism. Peter understands that that the truth is God is for all of his creation. He loves all of his creation. When my kids were little, they would often come to my wife and I and be like, hey, listen, who's your favorite? Like, who's your favorite child? Because every one of them were convinced it was them, right? Owen would come, hey, who's your favorite? It's definitely not Eli, Dad, so who's your favorite? And the answer was always the same. None of you are my favorite. Like, I love all of you equally. And you all drive me crazy equally, too. You're all my favorite. I I don't have a favorite. I love all of you. This is, what, this is what Peter is trying to uh, communicate here in Acts chapter 10. He realizes that we're all God's favorites, all of us. From a person that we think could never deserve the grace and earn the honor of, of God's love, they're God's favorites. And to you, you're God's favorites. We are all God's favorites. God is always on the move, even when it's toward those people. You see, we all have people in our life that for whatever reason we have deemed unworthy of the love of God. That person couldn't possibly receive the grace of God. They shouldn't be given the opportunity for repentance and new life. Like this person has not done anything to deserve this. Maybe because we've been hurt by that person or they've hurt someone within our family or sphere of influence or perhaps they've done something we know is so heinous and so awful. God could never love them and stay in relationship with them. This would have been Peter's attitude until now. Peter knows now that God doesn't show favoritism. It's towards everyone. And he's in love with everyone. And he's moving toward everyone. Maybe not just towards us. So Peter acknowledges that Cornelius had a lot of information correct about Jesus. He fills them in, all the pieces he didn't understand. And then what Peter does for Cornelius and his family is he explains to them that the response for a Jew or for a Gentile is the same. It's repentance, and belief. You see, what's happened here is the barrier to even having an opportunity, an invitation from God has been torn down. And the invitation now is given to everybody. And like with any invitation, we have a choice on how we respond. You see, for the Jews, Peter and his friends, they got it. They saw the invitation, they responded to Jesus but there were people all around him, and many of us who are sitting in the chairs still this morning, this invitation is now given to us as well, and we have to decide what we will do with it. Will we respond through repentance and belief, it's the same across the board. What's interesting in the passage in chapter two, 10, you see two things that are said. Number one, in verse 35, it says, "'Those who fear God and who, and who do what is right.'" That's who God is for. Verse 43, Those who believe will receive forgiveness. That's the requirement. It's that simple. And then the Bible says that as Peter is speaking, the Holy Spirit falls on all those who are there, Cornelius and his family, all the Gentiles who are there, just like it happened in Pentecost in Acts chapter two for all of the Jews who were there. In verse 45, it says that Peter and all of his buddies, the circumcised believers who were there with him, the Jews, The Bible says we're shocked that the Spirit of God would be poured out on these Gentiles. They are are shocked that God would reach these folks, that God would share his love, his mercy, his Holy Spirit to dwell in them too. They can't believe it. Last year uh, in February, um, myself and some other folks from the church got a chance to go to Liberia to spend time uh, for a week doing missions there. And there was a Sunday that we were there in Liberia in this small little village called Boe. And we had driven way out into Boe. And on a Sunday, we had a chance to help with the worship service. And so we did. We came and we did some music with them. We shared some scripture. And then I was going to preach in the, in the service as well. And when the service started, there was a gentleman that walked in and sat in one of the front pews in the church. And he was dressed a little different than everybody else in the room. And he was a, a big guy, just kind of a hulking guy. So you couldn't, you couldn't miss him when he walked in the room and he sat down. And it turns out this, this gentleman is a Muslim from a community very near to Boway and had come on Sunday morning to come listen to worship. So as I'm preaching, I've never been in a situation like that before. So like I was a little bit nervous, kind of heightened, making sure I was saying everything correctly and giving a message. Hopefully it was compelling and so forth. And so I'm preaching and I'm preaching and I'm preaching all the time, like having this like uh, corner of my eye, looking out to this individual who's sitting in the service. At the very end of the service, we kind of wrap up and this man stands up in the front pew and he wants to address the church. He wants to speak within the church. And I was like, I don't know, that's a good idea. I don't know if we should be. Letting that happen on a Sunday morning. And there's some others who are feeling a little nervous about it too, but the guy that we are with there in Liberia said, let him speak, let him share. And so this guy, he looks around the room and he says, I've been here for a long time and I've watched Jerry Kula, who's our partner in Liberia. He said, he is a true Christian. He said, I've been watching you and what you've been doing here in this community and you are true Christians. And then he points at me and he said, I've listened to every word that you said, everything that you said from the Bible, and it is true. What you have said is true. And I remember in my heart having this like strange sensation It was like five minutes ago, I would have said this guy has no business maybe being in this room, certainly no business speaking to those who have come to worship here on a Sunday morning, but then realizing that God plays 4D chess, that God works things out that we can't possibly think or imagine. And potentially this man was here for the right purpose at the right time. And so after the service, we took this quick picture standing next to him and spent the next day sharing more with him and talking more with him. And I would love to be able to share with you. And then everything changed and he believed in Jesus and so forth. That's not the case. But there was such a mutual respect and a mutual love that we got to share during those days. And it was clear to me that God is on a movement toward everybody. He's interested in everyone. And he wants to share his grace and his mercy and compassion with all of us. So this morning, the question is really simply this, like who's that person in your heart? Who's that person in your mind that is so far removed from the grace of God that God could never get to them? Like they could never possibly change enough for you to believe that God is at work within them, that the Holy Spirit might dwell inside of them, that God might love them the way he loves you. This morning, my prayer would be that we'd be challenged by that. I mean, I was was surprised, I was shocked just as the Jews were when the Holy Spirit fell on these Gentiles, I was shocked when this man walked into this service and shared what he shared. I don't know about you, I don't wanna be shocked anymore. I don't wanna be surprised anymore that God would love people, all people, and give us an all an invitation to repentance and belief no matter where we find ourselves today. God's on the move, people, and he wants us to be a part of it. And to do that, this is the mentality we have to have share the good news and grace of God with all people, believing that God is already working wherever we go. Let's pray together. Father God, first, I just wanna ask for your forgiveness for the times that I make prejudgments on people because of the way they look, where they come from, a different cultural background, whatever it might be, God, would you forgive me for the times that i'm not even interested in having a conversation about you because that person probably wouldn't respond anyway or that person doesn't deserve it anyway god i pray you would equip every person in this room with such grace such love such mercy that we would extend it to every person that we come in contact with no matter who they are because god you do not play favorites we are all your favorites and you love us all equally So Father, this morning, maybe for some of us, that person in our heart and our mind who's not deserving of your love and grace, it's us. We're so focused on the things that we have done wrong, the people that we have hurt, that we cannot believe and trust that you actually love us, God. Would you convince us? Give us a deep sense that we're loved by you today. So God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, every person, name, and face, on every heart and mind this morning, that you would awaken us to your great work, that we would join you in what you are doing and we would celebrate every single life that puts their faith, their trust, and their hope in you. You're big, God, and you're up to something. Even if it means grabbing a hold of what you're doing like a big metal whirling merry-go-round, God, we wanna do it and we'll trust you. And we wanna be in the very center of what you're up to. So, God, we love you today. It's in your name that we pray. And together we send.